Now, tonight is part one of a two-part series. Whoa. Uh, I know, I can tell you're thoroughly enthralled and excited already. Um, I'm going to be speaking over the next two weeks on the Spirit and the Kingdom. So tonight, part one is on the Spirit of God. Next week is on the Kingdom of God. And as I was walking here uh, just this evening, uh, this scripture came into my mind, which really speaks my heart for, well, it is my heart. This is, this is my heart, but it's my heart for you tonight. And it's from uh, the beginning of Ephesians. It says this. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. And in the NIV, where it says here in this version, uh, as you come to know him, the NIV said, and I, I, like, I, just, I like the way it puts it, it says, as you come to know him better. And that is the desire of my heart, is that, that as we gather together, as we hear the word of God being spoken, is that we, we are getting to know him better. Because that's, that is what he wants. He wants us to know him better. He wants us to discover the depths and the riches of who he is and who we are in him. So I hope, I hope you've come prepared. I've come ready. Uh, I'm going to, I was thinking about this at the start of the service and we're going to do a deep dive, but with only a short amount of oxygen in our tanks. So we're going to do a deep dive, but we're going to have to come back up for air. Okay, so uh, on the Spirit of God, and we're going to be discussing a little bit too about the Trinity. So heads in the right place. Let's go. Uh, but it begins with cheesecake. They say that uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. And I would agree with that uh, generally. And I remember one time uh, the Lord showed me a cheesecake. God knows how to get my attention. And because it wasn't, it wasn't just like... Um, something you might buy in the co-op, you know, one of these little cheese. It was, this was like big cheesecake, you know, it was really huge, you know, deep, proper. I'm sorry if I'm kind of getting the taste buds going here, but it was a good, proper, solid cheesecake. And it was divided into three. And it was in the context of something I was thinking about and had been talking about with somebody about, about the Trinity. And I, I saw one of these slices, a third of this cheesecake being removed, which is what a lot of people try and do in, is to remove the spirit from the father and the son. And my immediate response to that was, yes, you haven't got a complete picture of God. But then God removed the whole of the cheesecake. And he said to me, if you don't get part of me, you don't get any of me. 
And that was a really powerful statement, is that if we don't, if we try and remove one aspect of God, we're actually removing the whole of God. Because it's like if you try and remove a part of me or a part of you, it's, you're not just incomplete, it's not you. If we try and remove a part of the word, it's no longer the word of God because an aspect has been removed. Now, I think it's a targeted effort of the enemy of the faith to do such a thing as to remove the spirit from our thinking, to feel uncomfortable with the spirit of God. Because uh, the spirit actually is, and I'm going to go through this with you now, uh, is the key to understanding the, the Trinitarian nature of who God is. So I began writing a very short paper, you'll be pleased to know. This is a very short paper that I'm just going to read to you from that uh, I started writing, exploring the Trinity that is in Scripture. Okay. The key to understanding the Trinity is not by looking at who each member is and what each of them does, but is by looking at how they are connected to each other. While the term Trinity, Triune, etc. are not mentioned and the notion of the three-in-one is not explicitly stated, a simple examination of scripture points to this conclusion, that God is three as one. We're going to look at the scriptures that talk about the spirit and how this can help us understand God as three as one. So in scripture, the spirit is referenced in three ways. There's the spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's the spirit of God. God's spirit. There's the spirit of Christ, spirit of his son. Those are all terms used in scripture that are all talking about the spirit. If God is not triune, then there are three distinct spirits, one each. And if that was the case, the scripture would be clear on this when the spirit is being referenced. Indeed, scripture does not talk of each independently. Sorry, indeed, Scripture does talk of each independently, but when viewing Scripture as a whole, uh, we see that uh, the Scripture implies something different. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us. And in 2 Timothy 1 verse 14, we are told to guard what is entrusted to us with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Looking at these passages, if God is not triune, then we must have three different spirits living in us. Each one of those says that each, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all living in us. But is that the case? Is that what the whole of Scripture implies? I don't think we would say that that is the case. It is more likely that we would say that there is one spirit that lives in us. But if God is not triune, then which one is it? And if it is just one, then are all the other scriptures wrong? Romans chapter 8 verse 9 brings together all of them in a single verse. And this is what it says. However... You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. 
But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I'll read that scripture again. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if, you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So this passage speaks of all of them as though they are one, a single spirit. This is helpful for seeing them all referred to as one. But is there another scripture that will help us in our understanding, give us a, a, a fuller understanding? This is where you're going to need your, your thinking caps on. Uh, can we have the Corinthians uh, scripture up, please? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But an actual man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what is this telling us? To break this down, if you'd like to summarise it. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. No one can know the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person. In the same way, no one can know the thoughts of God except by the spirit of God. We have received the spirit of God so that we can know the thoughts of God. We can speak, we can speak spiritual things and so combine spiritual thoughts and words, which the spirit teaches us how to do. And these things make no sense to those who don't have the Spirit of God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The word Lord is used in the New Testament as a reference to both God and Jesus. And we have the mind of Christ. So here we have a simple progression that helps us to understand many truths. But the one that we're after here is that it demonstrates God as triune. This passage speaks uh, of three spirits and they're all referenced. And they all know the mind or the thoughts of God. All of them. And the only spirit can know the thoughts or the mind of a person is the spirit of that person. So the only way that all three spirits can know the mind of God is if they are one. One and the same spirit. So how do we get there? The spirit reveals the mind of God. 
Only the Spirit of God can know what is on God's mind. So the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God must be the same. A link is then made between God and Jesus by the reference of the mind of the Lord. We have received the Spirit from God who reveals the mind of God, which is in verse 12. It's gone. And we also have the mind of Christ, which is in verse 16, which is only possible if, if we have the Spirit of Christ. I hope you can see the threads of these, of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus are all being drawn together in this scripture because it's all through, uh, through the mind of Christ, through the mind of God as one Spirit. If we believe that there is one Spirit, then the Spirit of Christ must be the same Spirit as the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God. That's a lot of Spirit, isn't it? That's a lot to get your head around. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit are of one mind because they have one Spirit. The Spirit is the one that brings all things together. And what is going to be even, what is even more amazing is what I'm about to come to in where we fit into that picture. Just so that you're aware, I'm just going to read the other scriptures that are referenced just so that you've heard them fully. Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 1 Corinthians 3.16 do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And 2 Timothy 1, 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So that was, the, that was a deep dive with very little oxygen to to process, that's something to take away and to think about and you know, remember those scriptures and dwell on that because I think understanding God as Trinity is essential in helping us to understand who he is and who we are. And this is, this is what's extraordinary. That the spirit of our Trinitarian God dwells in those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 13 and Colossians 1 says that Christ is in you. 1 Peter 5 says that you are in Christ. And in Colossians 3, it says that we are hidden with Christ in God. And in Galatians 3, it says that we are all one in Christ. So through the Father not withholding his Son, through the Son becoming the perfect sacrifice for sin for us, through the Spirit dwelling in us as God's presence and glory and power, we together are drawn into the Trinity of God. Now, that's quite a bomb to drop in our thinking. Let's see what John says about this. John 17. We had some of John 17 this morning from Ian. It's John 17, 21 to 23. As you, this is Jesus speaking, as you, Father, 
are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, just in case you were uncertain, anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This, the magnitude of this is extraordinary. When we think of the oneness that is in the Trinity, we think how closely bonded together they are as one spirit. So too, through scripture, we can see this is the case. That we, as we are found in Christ, we are drawn into that fellowship. I don't know about you, but to me, that's wow. That is wow. And then this is not even something that is to come. This is now. So who is the Spirit of God? I started to compile a list and then found I was writing out half the Bible. So I'm just going to go with headings and you can feel free to dig deeper into Scripture to locate these things. And this isn't even exhaustive at all. The Spirit of God is truth. He is power. He is our advocate and our teacher. He is the enabler. He is the intercessor. He is freedom. He is grace. He is what seals our adoption and be part of the family. He is the spirit of life. He is our unity, our communion. He is Emmanuel and he is so much more. This is who the spirit is. And without the Holy Spirit, we are incapable of being Jesus' disciples. With the Spirit, it's hard enough. Isn't it hard being a disciple of Jesus? Don't you feel the flesh on a daily basis going, come on my way today? On my way right now? You've seen the cheesecake, take a slice. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And when it says no one can say, what it means is, because of course anybody can actually put those words upon their lips, but it means truthfully from the depths, from the core of your being to say Jesus is Lord. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we can actually say that. So one thing that can be said about the Holy Spirit is that he is the enabler. He enables 
us to live the way that we should live, to live by the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Of course, that should be triggering questions of like, so what are the things of the Spirit? Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we're here getting the complete uh, polarization that without the Spirit is death. With the Spirit is life. And in Galatians 5, Paul is saying, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's speaking that as a command. Live by the Spirit, I say. You can feel that. The weight of, of his words behind that, what, what his emotion of desire to live by the Spirit, don't live by anything else. And uh, a bit further on in Galatians, it tells us how. It says, if, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Now, if we take that and we swap that round, it can help us to understand that a bit better. If we are guided by the Spirit, then we will live by the Spirit. So how do we live by the Spirit? We do so by allowing him to guide us. There's this idea that um, when we become a Christian, it's, it's like, you know, if, if you're the driver of your car, the car being your life, and when you become a Christian, it's like you shift over to the passenger seat and let Jesus step into the driver's seat. Let him take control. It's, that's not how it works. You remain in the driver's seat. But you've now got a sat-nav to, to direct you in the way to go. But it's up to you to choose to follow whether to, whether to follow that sat-nav or not. And that is the Spirit of God. If you want to, if you want to get to the right destination, you've got to listen to your sat-nav. If you want to live by the Spirit, you've got to be guided by the Spirit. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind, for the faith of the gospel. It's not a lonely journey. Living by the Spirit, we cannot do on our own. Yes, we have the Spirit of God who enables us. He, he gives us everything that we need to live the way that God wants us to live. But we still struggle and we need the fellowship of one another. To walk together, to encourage one another, to be admonished by one another. And it's important that we don't just kind of cozy up and be all fluffy and lovey you know there's as, there's as much love in saying that's wrong as there is in saying let's do this together so why is this so important Ephesians chapter 6 this is the, uh, the passage about the, the armour of God so I think you probably know it well 
It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And what is the strength of his power? It is his spirit. Put on the whole spiritual armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of, of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then a bit later on, pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. What this is saying is our battle isn't a physical one, it's a spiritual one. We know that. But how much do we apply that? So we have these very physical problems and issues around us, maybe for ourselves, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our nations. There are very real problems. What the call upon us is to do is to apply spiritual wisdom and solutions. Do we believe that in God is the answer and the solution to every problem that we could ever face? Interactive time. We can nod, that's fine. All right. So why are we not seeing all those answers and solutions being manifested probably because we are not taking the time to listen to tune in and to apply the spiritual wisdom into these earthly problems now one simple example is you have someone who's sick it's a very physical problem for that person so what do we do as God's people we apply a spiritual solution we pray for them and we ask that there would be an inbreaking of God's power into that person's life to bring about recovery. That's taking a spiritual solution and applying it to a physical problem. Because the things of God are manifested in this world. Which is interesting, because in this world we can feel powerless, can't we? You know, we can watch TV, watch the news, listen to the news or whatever we do. And we can feel powerless and think, well, what can I do? But in the spirit, we have the advantage. We have the upper hand. We have the heavenly perspective. We have the victory. That's something to take away and to think about. Some homework for you to go and to think, what, what are the things that are going on around me? How can I apply spiritual solutions to the physical problems? So how do we live by the Spirit? Well, to put it succinctly in a single sentence, be filled and remain full of the Holy Spirit. There we go, we can all go home now. Let me dig a bit deeper into this. Uh, if you want to put up Ephesians 5 for me, please. There are a lot, and in a couple of more scriptures that I'm going to come to, 
there's a lot of key words and key phrases to be looking out for to help us on this journey. And they start straight away. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. It's interesting, isn't it? On a couple of occasions, I think it is, Paul himself says to those he's writing to, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be a model, be a mentor, disciple each other, encourage one another, do all the things that he's commanded us to do, do them so that others may see and follow. <coughs> and it goes on, uh, uh, but fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned, did you notice this, not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly and vulgar talk. But instead, key phrase, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving features so much in Paul's writing. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or anyone or, or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Some very harsh and plain words there. Uh, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. That's another key phrase. It's kind of an opposite view of things. But don't associate with those who can lead us into the wrong things. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Key phrase. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Another key phrase. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. It's fascinating. Even just a sim simple statement like that. Try and find out what is pleasing to God. How do we find that out? Well, we've got, the, got his word. That tells us a lot of stuff. But also listen to him and he will speak to us. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That is an interesting one, particularly in these days where we're seeing increasing darkness and where, increase, where darkness is being pushed forward as light, as something that we have to accept in our society, lots of darkness. And even within the church, we're seeing these aspects of darkness being upheld now as, well, maybe there is light in this. It says, not only should we not take part in them, but we also have to expose them. It means being bold and speaking out. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, another key phrase, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but again, key phrase, understand what the will of the Lord is. 
It's interesting that scripture also tells us is that when we pray according to his will, not only does he hear us, but he also grants to us those things that we've asked for when we pray according to his will. So knowing his will is a very good and useful thing to do. Where am I? I've lost my way. 18. 18. Thank you very much. Somebody's following. Great. <laughs> Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, key phrase, be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there is a fantastic statement and also one to delve into when you think about, so how am I filled with the Spirit? It tells us right there. Okay, so Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. That might mean switching off the news. Because <laughs> we tend not to see any of those things in the news, do we? But also think about the conversations that you have or the conversations that we can get caught up in. You know, there's that person where you start talking, you go, oh, how was your day? Oh, wow. And you know, this kind of worms is opened, isn't it? And out it all comes and you get caught into this negative conversation. Don't get caught up on it. Instead, turn it around. Colossians chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So be careful where you put your mind, where you put your thinking. Seek the things that are above, where he is. Set your minds on those things. And then uh, a bit later in Colossians, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. One of my favourite phrases in the whole of Scripture, bear with one another. I like that. Bear with one another. There's a real truthful statement there, if ever there was one, isn't it? You know, we've got to put up with each other. So you know they say you can't choose your family? Where family? When you became a believer... This became your family. Decide what that's like as you will. But we have to bear with one another because we're all so different. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Notice that. Let the peace of Christ, not dwell, rule. 
become the ruling power in your life. Peace. Very interesting in this, these days where there is such little peace around us. That when people's lives are in such turmoil caused by all the things of the world, this is an opportunity for us to stand out because peace rules in us. Uh, and that peace of Christ ruling your hearts to which indeed you are called in, the bo- in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's another great challenge for us. All of these are pointing to uh, answering that question of how do we live by the Spirit? It is through these things. But as I said, the Spirit of God is the enabler. We have the fruit of the Spirit that he bears in us. So that's Galatians 5 from verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And to live by those in the power of the Spirit. And we see that in various places, but uh, Corinthians and Ephesians, uh, through, for example, the gifts that he has given to us, the gifts of the Spirit, whether that be uh, through words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, prophecy, healing, and uh, so on. So the Spirit of God enables, he empowers, he equips, he gives us a capacity that we don't have otherwise. But the thing is this, the Spirit of God is invisible, isn't he? It's like, you know, we can't, we can't see him. But the evidence of his presence is visible. How? It is through all of these things that I've just been reading to you. All I have done most of this time is to read scripture to you. See, the world is capable of many good things. Even though we don't necessarily read about it, it is. We see such good things happening around us. There's a lot of big hearts out there, a lot of people giving sacrificially in so many different ways. They don't have God in their lives. But we see all of these things And much of what we see happening within the church are all good things. But they're not unique to us. The church aren't the only ones running food banks or toddler groups or midweek kids meetings or uh, coffee mornings or, you know, whatever myriad of things that you can think of. The world is also doing those things. The spirit is more than that. If we, if we do those things, but they're devoid of the message of Christ or the power of the Spirit, then this is just a, a social 
activity. This is just taking social responsibility in our communities. The things that are, uh, the only things that really that are evidenced, that demonstrate the power of God, are those things that only God can do. So if you think of all the things that are going on, and you think, can you do that without God? If the answer is yes, then that might be good, and God might be inspiring you to do those things, and we should do those, because it's right that we take social responsibility. It's right that we do all of these things. But what is he telling us to do that only he can do? Now, if you are here this morning, you heard Ian talking about a number of things that only God can do. We had the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. And now here's, there's one example of uh, a physical problem in which a spiritual solution was brought to and applied to it. And only a spiritual solution could have solved that problem. It says she tried everything. Lazarus, he had a very physical problem. He was dead. Now, there is nothing in the world that could have been applied to him to change his, his condition. Only a spiritual solution could do that. Jesus raising him from the dead. So, at the end of this, part one, I've got three questions. Is this how we are living? Are we living in the power of the Spirit? Are we living lives where the only explanation is the power of God? Second question. Is the Spirit of God evident in our lives? Very much connected to the first question. Now, if, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, then those two questions are very pertinent to you. If you're not, this third question is perhaps more pertinent to you. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's part of the package. It's part of coming to know Jesus. It's, it's, not, a, just, it's not about just simply recognising, acknowledging and assenting in our minds to who he is. It's also about allowing him to take his place in our lives, to live in us, and to equip us and enable us to do what he did. And that can only happen if we're filled with the Spirit. So that's the third question. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, if the answer is no, or you feel like the answer is no, you have that uncertainty, if they will, I'm not sure I have, that's okay. And I want to give you an opportunity at the end of the service 
If you would like to be prayed for, to be filled with the Spirit, then I want to invite you to just come to the front and John and I will join together and we will pray for you. The Spirit of God is equipping, is enabling, is empowering. Is this how we are living? Is the Spirit of God evident in our lives? And have we, in fact, been filled with the Holy Spirit? Finish with the words from Ephesians chapter 3, which were the words that Ian also used this morning. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.